It used to be that the best first aid treatment, if you were bitten by a snake on your arm, was to apply a tourniquet. And there were good reasons for that, weren't there? That if the poison blood was down here, this the tourniquet stopped it getting to the heart. Uh, but then uh, they decided to change the treatment. The first aid treatment became wrapping a bandage up and down the arm. How many people have done a first aid course? You know that basic rule. It's a good one to remember. If you don't get anything out of this morning other than that, that's, that's really worthwhile. Um, but, of course, what they found was that when the tourniquet was released, the, the, there was a great rush of poison blood that went straight to the heart. And so the tourniquet actually uh, wasn't that helpful. It was counterintuitive thinking to simply wrap a bandage around your arm rather than use a tourniquet. Now, in a similar way, you might look at this passage this morning and think Jeremiah's advice to the exiles in Babylon is also counterintuitive. Wouldn't you expect Jeremiah to be telling them to resist the Babylonians, to fight back against this pagan nation? But what does he say? Build houses, settle down, marry, have children. What might the reaction of the exiles be? Settle without protest, Jeremiah? You're kidding. Against these destroyers of our homeland, of our family, that they've ransacked the temple, pray for these cruel Babylonians, and you want me to pray that for their welfare and prosperity? Try and put yourself in the place of the exiles as they hear this message, this letter that's come from Jeremiah. It would seem a very strange message. It would seem like bad advice. So far in the book of Jeremiah, uh, we've been looking at the time before the exile. Okay, so lots of messages of judgment. Did you pick that up? Judgment. There's a bad thing coming. It's the exile. And it's God's judgment for the nation's sin. But chapter 29 now, it's happened. And chapter 29 is set just a short time after uh, Judah has been conquered by Babylon and the people carried off into exile. Well, at least all the nobles and the officials have been taken captive, uh, as described there in the first few verses. Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, and he writes to the exiles with this word from the Lord. And it's a counterintuitive word a word which needs spiritual perception to be received. There were other voices out there that could have been received by the people. These were the false prophets. And the false prophets were telling the people to not settle down, to offer stiff resistance because the exile would be short. Uh, Have a look at verses 8 and 9 of our reading. If you've got it there, it would be very handy to have Jeremiah 29 open. Uh, What does Jeremiah say about the message of the false prophets? In verse 8, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And what was the message of these false prophets? Well, we get uh, one of them, uh, Hananiah, uh, in the previous chapter 28. Uh, If you go to verse 3 
I know, verse 2, it starts. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is what Hananiah is saying. He says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. Two years. What did Jeremiah say would be the period of the exile? In verse 10, notice there, verse 10, 10 years, that's uh, 70 years, sorry, 70 years. Uh, that must have sounded attractive. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to believe the false prophets. Jeremiah says 70. And you live very differently if you know you're in a place for only two years compared to if you know you're in a place for 70 years, don't you? You choose a different way of life. People, the people here actually have three options before them. One is they could resist the Babylonians and just get in a holy huddle where they make themselves a tight-knit little group of, uh, you know, with Jewish culture and belief and try and lock out the Babylonians as much as possible. Uh, the second option is that they could give in to the Babylonians and be assimilated into their culture. After all, Babylon was an impressive city, a very prosperous city. It had stunning architectural features. There was a vibrant, lively cultural life. It would have been very tempting to think, gee, Babylon's gods must be better than Yahweh. They must, they've won the victory. Our God has lost. Uh, perhaps we should shift allegiance over and become assimilated into Babylon. So they could resist Babylon. They could give in to Babylon. But there is a third option, and this is the one Jeremiah is telling the people to follow. And that is to engage with the city and pray for its welfare, but at the same time to retain their distinct identity. And that is a much more difficult path to follow. How will they sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Do you know that verse? Where does it come from? Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Let's turn to Psalm 137 because this is uh, the writing of someone who's in exile in Babylon. Verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. What will the people do? They have suffered a devastating national defeat. They are weeping. They are grieving. They're lost. The whole future, of the, the future existence of the nation is in doubt. And they're asking, how can this be? Didn't God promise Abraham that we'd be a great nation? Didn't God rescue us from Egypt and lead us into the promised land? Didn't God give King David the promise of a dynasty that would last forever? How are they going to respond to this crisis? They can either resist the Babylonians, they can either give in to the Babylonians, or they settle in the land but keep their own identity. And it's this third option, uh, which is the one Jeremiah is exhorting them to do. Look at Psalm 137 there. Go down to verses 5 and 6. Where the psalmist says, If I forget you, Jerusalem, 
May my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. That's keeping their identity. Remembering that Babylon isn't their permanent home, Jerusalem is. And that's the place of God's presence. And they want to be with God. And keeping that identity uh, secure. And I think that that's uh, seeking God with all their heart. And that's what Jeremiah was talking about. If we go back to verse 20, uh, chapter 29, uh, where he prophesies that uh, in verse 12, chapter 29, when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what God's looking for. All their heart. And you read Psalm uh, 137, uh, you get that sense that uh, they're now in a place, they're now in a place where they can seek God with all their heart. They consider Jerusalem their highest joy. The people do end up taking Jeremiah's advice and settle down, but will they keep their own identity? The challenge will be for Jerusalem to continue being their highest joy. And when you think about it, Jerusalem's a thousand kilometres away. And there were no super highways back in those days. It must have seemed a long way away. But they kept trusting God and that one day they would worship again in Jerusalem. Uh, But they had to continue to resist the Babylonian idol worship and seek God with all their heart. Remember what we've said before about idols. Uh, this is what Jeremiah's been hammering home to the people on many, time, many occasions previously. But now in exile, they have to resist idolatry like never before. Put Yahweh first, worship only him. Consider Jerusalem their highest joy. So my friends, what does this mean for us today? Well, in many ways, we live in a time similar to the exiles. No, we haven't literally been invaded and carted off to a foreign country. But in many ways, as as Christians, we are now living in a foreign culture in Australia. Australia used to be considered a Christian country. And let's be aware there's both good things and bad things about that. But now Australia is considered a secular country and there are good things and bad things about that. But the problem, as I see it in the practical living of life uh, today in Australia, is that most of the media and in the social settings we're in, any talk about God is taboo. Uh, It's seen as an irrelevance and certainly not where the good life is to be found. So holding a Christian worldview where God is at the centre and Jesus Christ is Lord is to be very much in the minority. And it can sometimes feel like being in exile even in our own land. We face some of the same challenges that the exiles faced in 597 BC when they were taken off to Babylon. And the the big challenge, how can we pray for the peace and prosperity of our city yet resist its idolatry? How can we retain our Christian distinctiveness in a culture with many temptations? We're called to be a holy people. That means to be set apart. 
Uh, 1 Peter 2.9 sums it up well. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So does that mean we pull up the drawbridge, uh, just get into our little holy space and tell all the world to go take a running jump? Uh, No, no, we're called to engage. We're called to seek the welfare of the city. Uh, Here at Noosa Anglican, we do try and work for the well-being of our community. One of the lovely ministries that does this is our Samaritan Care Ministry. And last Sunday was our Samaritan Care Sunday where we prayed for that ministry uh, and we uh, gave towards its support. I want to read a little piece from the report that Max and Val uh, gave us last week where they said this, Some examples of the assistance given in the last few weeks include pharmaceutical assistance via pharmacy gift cards, purchase of Telstra prepaid vouchers, Purchase and distribution of donated groceries. Delivery of home-cooked meals, biscuits and fresh fruit and vegetables. Thanks to the parishioners who have donated clothing, shoes and other miscellaneous items which they are no longer able to use. A big thank you to everyone who blesses this ministry. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so the Samaritan Care is one way uh, we seek to bless our community and work for its welfare. Another wonderful ministry is that of chaplaincy and we support all the schools uh, across our parish uh, and all of those schools have a breakfast club and a number of you uh, do volunteer to serve breakfast to the kids. I did a a stint at the Sunshine Beach School just recently and it was just wonderful being there, uh, cooking the toast and buttering it and handing it out to the kids and they're all so polite. It's, uh, It's actually a great encouragement. Um, and we financially support the chappies, uh, and you can do that through the mission giving on the week the chappies is their week, and you can do it through the buying the eggs. Uh, I encourage you with that. And we offer practical support in many other ways as well. Uh, here we have an outreach, uh, here in Toronto we have an outreach to young families through Playtime, which meets on a Thursday morning. And so we provide a lovely space for mums and dads, grandparents and children to come along and find connection with one another and encouragement and support uh, in raising their children. And it's lovely to see some of those families here today as well. Uh, The Noosa Triathlon's coming up on October the 30th. What a wonderful opportunity to serve our community uh, simply by helping uh, with people where they come to park and then they get on the shuttle bus Uh, So if you would like to cook sausages, serve refreshments, play live music, just meet and greet, uh, why not see Ian Jobling and uh, do a really fun morning activity where you're serving the community. We are seeking to bless and prosper our community, but you know what? There's so much more we could do, so much more. Parish Council at the moment is considering the whole issue of homelessness. We've been looking at it for a number of months and there's another report we're looking at this Tuesday night. Please pray for us. If you've got ideas about homelessness and how we can uh, connect there and help people, uh, please come and talk to us. Uh, Vision 26, uh, we looked at the needs of our community and identified the following areas that we would love to move into if there was uh, someone with passion and leadership to take us there. 
So in the areas of mental health, uh, poverty, loneliness, family breakdown, and the needs of the elderly were the priorities we identified in Vision 26. And maybe the message of Jeremiah is prompting you uh, to take an interest in one of those areas and you're listening for God's call of of how you're going to make a difference uh, because you've heard the word of God and you want to get out there and do something. And so we bless our community. Uh, In many ways, we want to do it a lot better. Probably the most often quoted verse in these whole 52 chapters of Jeremiah is right here in this chapter 29. Did you recognise it? Verse 11. Have you heard that one before? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That verse is usually quoted to help people through a crisis, to bring reassurance that God is with them, that there's still some good times ahead. And I'm sure God has used that passage to bring exactly that sort of encouragement. I hope from this morning, though, you might see that verse in its bigger context. It's about the people of God returning from exile in Babylon back to the promised land in 70 years. In the immediate term, though, they are to settle in Babylon and to make the most of their situation by blessing Babylon. But they're not to lose sight of that long-term goal, the promised land and Jerusalem to be their chiefest joy. My friends, for us, this is a picture of our final destination in the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth that are coming. Only then will all suffering and sickness and heartache be overcome. Only then will this verse 11 of Jeremiah 29 be truly fulfilled. I'd like to be able to tell you that God's going to fulfill it for you tomorrow. You know, health and prosperity tomorrow. But that's not what this verse is teaching. I mean, how long were the exiles in Babylon? 70 years. God's timetable is not ours. There are no guarantees in this life except the final hope of the gospel. The hope that whatever assails us, we are promised a land that is safe and secure, a treasure stored up for us in heaven, waiting for those who love the Lord Jesus and are looking for his coming. But my friends, in the meantime, what are we called to do? Well, let's learn from the Israelites in the 6th century. We're not called to be a holy huddle, sheltering ourselves from that nasty pagan world out there. We're not called to merge with our society by accepting its values and standards and compromising our sole allegiance to God. We are called to seek the peace and prosperity of the city by humbly serving in a way that points people to Jesus Christ. And we are to wait patiently then for that final deliverance from exile when our Saviour returns and the glory comes.